You are listening to episode 23 of Stoicism on Fire. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Fisher, welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. Day 7. Prepare for death to discover freedom. What is most important? Having your soul on your lips. This makes you free not according to the law of the Quirites, but according to the law of nature. A free person is one who escapes enslavement to himself, which is constant, unavoidable, oppressing by day and by night equally, without break, without respite. Enslavement to oneself is the most severe enslavement. But it is easy to shake off if you stop expecting a lot from yourself, if you stop making money for yourself, if you set before your eyes both your nature and your age, even if it is very young, and say to yourself, why am I going crazy? Why am I panting? Why am I sweating? Why am I working the land or the forum? I don't need much, and not for long. Natural Questions, Book 3, Preface 16-17. to This week-long meditation with Seneca on the topic of what is important in life ends at the most appropriate place, the contemplation of and preparation for our death. Seneca opens this final passage with the recommendation that we have our soul on our lips. In other words, we must be prepared to die. Why? Because doing so makes us free according to the law of nature. The Stoics did not measure freedom by one's ability to move freely from place to place, city to city, or country to country. Instead, True freedom is the absence of enslaving desires and crippling fears that consume our life. Typically, we live our lives afraid of not getting what we want. A large house, a great job, a good reputation, a wonderful soulmate, a retirement account, good health, etc. Likewise, we fear getting that which we do not want. Homelessness, poverty, shame, loneliness, sickness, and death. As a result, we spend our time driving ourselves to madness and working ourselves to death for things we believe will make us happy. As Epictetus frequently reminds us, we are slaves to externals. All the while, we neglect to ask ourselves what is important. As Seneca notes, quote, It's not that we have a short life to live, but that we waste much of it. Life is long enough, and it's been given to us in generous measure for accomplishing the greatest things, if the whole of it is well invested. But when life is squandered through soft and careless living, and when it's spent on no worthwhile pursuit, death finally presses, and we realize that the life, which we didn't notice passing, has passed away. On the Shortness of Life 1.3 The Stoic practice of memento mori, the contemplation of death, is more than a preparation for our inevitable end. That is the obvious goal of this ancient widespread practice. The less obvious but equally important goal of this practice is the development of true freedom, which is preparation for life. As Pierre Hedo writes, quote, In the apprenticeship of death, a Stoic discovers the apprenticeship of freedom. End quote. Freedom for the Stoic is the inner freedom that allows us to contemplate and live in agreement with nature, regardless of life's circumstances. Hado notes, For the Stoic Epictetus, 
The meaning of our existence resides in this contemplation. We have been placed on earth in order to contemplate divine creation, and we must not die before we have witnessed its marvels and lived in harmony with nature. End quote. However, in modern times, few of us take the time to contemplate nature and ask what is important in life. For the past six episodes, we shared in Seneca's exploration of that question. By now, I hope you realize that the goal of asking the question is not to find answers that it might produce. Instead, the goal is freedom from the enslavement to those externals, like our jobs, our possessions, our positions, our reputations, etc., that we voluntarily submit ourselves to when we neglect to ask that question. Repeatedly asking what is important in life reminds us there is more to life than our ever-present desires for and fears of external things and circumstances. We moderns, especially we Westerners, have been trained from childhood to move at a faster and faster pace so that we can achieve greater and greater goals and accumulate more and more possessions. We only half-jokingly repeat the 1980s bumper sticker slogan, He who dies with the most toys wins. Stoicism is not a mind hack to be used to overcome external obstacles along the path to fame and fortune. Instead, the Stoic path trains us to overcome the obstacles within our mind that stand between our present state and that excellent character which is capable of experiencing true well-being. The Stoic path leads to freedom. As Seneca points out, the Stoic path teaches us to live free according to the law of nature, even if the law of the Quirites, which is the law of our society, binds us and imprisons us. We can find this form of freedom only within the inner citadel of our mind, and it empowers us to act virtuously in the world without fear of punishment, imprisonment, or even death. Socrates assented to this higher law and lived continually with his soul on his lips. He did not fear imprisonment or death by the powerful men of Athens that he openly challenged. When these men brought him to trial on trumped-up charges, he did not cower. Instead, he mocked their sense of justice. After being sentenced to death, Socrates had an opportunity to escape, but he did not. He understood that the Athenians could kill him, but they could not take away his freedom to choose the good. In other words, they could not harm him. The life and courageous death of Socrates inspired the ancient Stoics, and they pointed to him as an example of an excellent life. However, Seneca's message here is not limited to exceptional people like Socrates. The contemplation of death is for everyone because death is a part of nature's process. The philosophical practice of contemplating misfortune and death is not unique to Stoicism, nor was it invented by the Stoics. In fact, as Pierre Haydeau points out, the Stoics appear to have borrowed these practices from Plato's Republic. Haydeau suggests, if it is true that philosophy subjugates the body's will to live to the higher demands of thought, it can rightly be said that philosophy is the training and apprenticeship for death. In other words, contemplation of death was a common philosophical practice because death is truly universal. Seneca opens his work on the shortness of life with this common complaint about death. Quote, Most of mankind, Paulinus, complains about nature's meanness because our allotted span of life is so short and because this stretch of time that is given to us runs its course so quickly, so rapidly. So much so that with very few exceptions, life leaves the rest of us in the lurch just when we're getting ready to live. And it's not just the masses and the unthinking crowd that complain at what they perceive is this universal evil. 
the same feeling draws complaints, even from the men of distinction. Benjamin Franklin echoes Seneca in his famous quote, Life's tragedy is that we get old too soon and wise too late. So how does a Stoic prevent this regret? By contemplating death as an inevitable end that may occur at any moment, and then living each moment in the present through the practice of prosuche, attention. Marcus admonishes us to, quote, let your every action, word, and thought be those of one who could depart from this life at any moment, Meditations 2.11. In fact, death is a frequent theme in the Meditations of Marcus. That may be due to the fact that death was a constant companion of Marcus at home and on the battlefield. Of his 14 children, only six outlived him. Additionally, Marcus wrote a large portion of his meditations while he was encamped on the Danube River with his army during time of war. The transient nature of life was ever-present for Marcus, and his meditations reflect that. He wrote, quote, All that you now see will swiftly pass away, and those who have watched it passing will swiftly pass away in their turn. And he who dies in extreme old age will be brought to a level with one who has died before his time. Meditations 9. Point 33. In his masterpiece on the meditations of Marcus Aurelius, Pierre Haydeau wrote, From the point of view of the imminence of death, one thing counts and one alone. To strive always to have the essential rules of life present in one's mind and to keep placing oneself in the fundamental disposition of the philosopher which consists essentially in controlling one's inner discourse, in doing that which is of benefit to the human community and in accepting the events brought to us by the course of the nature of the all, end quote. And obviously, one event that we all face is death. Likewise, Epictetus offers us the following advice about the practice of contemplating misfortune and death, quote, Day by day, you must keep before your eyes death and exile and everything else that seems frightening, but most especially death, and then you'll never harbor any mean thought nor will you desire anything beyond due measure in Chiridion 21. For the Stoic, there is nothing to fear in death. It is simply a process of nature. The Stoics were ambiguous about what happens after death, and it doesn't appear that they spent a great deal of time contemplating the topic. Instead, it appears they were satisfied to consider death the cessation of life as we know and experience it as humans, and the return of our constituent parts to nature. Their focus was on the development of an excellent character in the here and now. However, one of those constituent parts that we are comprised of is a fragment of the Logos that is, according to the Stoics, return to God. That fact is tantalizing. Does some aspect of our consciousness continue to exist after death? As Epictetus stated, quote, Isn't it true that these things are indifferent and nothing to us, and that death is no evil? and that we are, in some sense, related to God, and draw our origin from Him, allowing us to go back to where we came from. Discourses 1.9.13-14 Nevertheless, what happens after death is highly speculative, and it does not appear that the ancient Stoics considered a matter worthy of a great deal of contemplation. Instead, they focus on the development of moral excellence, and trusted that a benevolent, providential cosmos would not make death something terrible. Have you genuinely contemplated your death? I have. For me, it's a part of my job. 
My profession as a law enforcement officer has brought me face-to-face with death on numerous occasions. Frequently, those circumstances require me to face the fact that my life could end unexpectedly in a moment with the muzzle flash of a gun. Now, most moderns do not work in inherently dangerous professions, and we live in relative peace, at least in the West. As a result, many people lack the impetus to face the inevitability of their death until it is forced upon them by the death of a loved one or a threat to their own life. Then, they are forced to face the truth. Life is fragile, and it can end in the blink of an eye. Philosophy teaches us to face our mortality and to prepare for the inevitability of our death. Over the years, I have learned that those in-the-moment considerations of death that I face while I'm at work are far different than those occasions when I intentionally contemplate my death. While those life-threatening moments on the job serve to momentarily heighten my awareness of life's temporal nature and force me to find peace with the potential of my death so that I can do my job, they do not prepare me for the life of freedom, as Seneca describes. That can only come from the practice of contemplating death, memento mori. Here's what I've learned as a result of contemplating my death. Because of my Stoic practice, I feel confident that I can face death and maintain my equanimity. I believe I can face death courageously, probably not without a few heartfelt tears at the thought of my wife and children. After all, I'm not a sage. I am also convinced that rehearsing my death will make facing that moment much easier. Moreover, I believe my children will be better prepared to face death if their father is able to face it courageously. Through my example, I can teach them that death is nothing to fear. Likewise, each day that I walk out the front door with a badge on my chest and a gun on my hip, I know that my wife is comforted by the fact that I've come to terms with my own death. Finally, and most importantly, contemplating my death encourages me to live each and every moment allotted to me in the present, and more appropriately, because I do so with my soul on my lips. My challenge to you at the end of this week-long meditation is to take some time and seriously contemplate your death. Practice memento mori. Rehearse it in your mind. Now is your opportunity to practice for the inevitable. Contemplating your inevitable death can change your life in the here and now. I leave you with a passage that I have repeated often. Ironically, this passage follows one of Marcus's contemplations of death, and it is most appropriate for this topic. In Meditations 4.23, Marcus wrote, Everything suits me that suits your designs, O my universe. Nothing is too early or too late for me that is in your own good time. All is fruit for me that your seasons bring, O nature. All proceeds from you. All subsists in you. And to you, all things return. Thank you for listening to the Stoicism on Fire podcast. If you're interested in this ancient practice of Stoicism, you will find plenty of resources at www.traditionalstoicism.com. If you're interested in a social media environment where this form of Stoicism is discussed, please join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on the platform where you listen to this podcast. That tells others this podcast is worth listening to and thereby introduces more people to the ancient spiritual practices of the Stoics. If you have feedback or a great podcast idea for me, send me an email at chris, that's C-H-R-I-S, at traditionalstoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you will continue exploring traditional Stoicism 
where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine creative fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire. Thank you.